We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here, here's, a, here's a very interesting one for me and Johnson, Ryan. Would you say that Notre Dame and Clemson have a rivalry? I, I think so. I would, yeah, I would. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I was going to say I would, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think it's a good one. I mean, because you're, you're, Notre Dame's sort of a de facto a- ACC team. The it only get back and forth in a rivalry as well. We've yeah. seen that now. Yeah, started. they've played a bunch, right, yeah. in recent years. So they played in 15, 18, twice in 20. And mm-hmm. then this past year, they've played five times in the last six years and they've played in meaningful games, right? They played yes. in a playoff game. They've played in an ACC title game and they've had two games that whose outcome determined whether one of those teams would be able to be a playoff team. Clemson yeah. won the first one, which allowed them to, because if Clemson doesn't beat Notre Dame in 2015, if Notre Dame ties that game up at the end and goes into overtime and wins, Clemson's not in the playoff that year in 2015. And then in 2020, if Notre Dame doesn't beat Clemson, they're not in the playoff, you yeah. know, because because then they'd go to the ACC title game and lose, and now you're not in. And and of course, last year, Clemson goes into that South Carolina game for uh, with locking up a playoff spot if it's not for the loss to Notre Dame, right? And and honestly, still might have made the playoff if they lost to South Carolina. The way that the play, way that the end of the season kind of shaped up, Ryan. Clemson still might have got in if they'd have beat North Carolina. I don't think they would have deserved it, but they still might have got in at twelve and at twelve and one. The yeah. loss to Notre Dame knocked them out. So they've played in. I mean, every single game they've played in the last five times they've played have all been meaningful. There's all been something big on the line. That's and and a, a true rivalry, a true new rivalry. Ryan, Michigan and Ohio State's always a rivalry, no matter how much Ohio State dominates over the course of a decade. It's still a rivalry. Because yeah. there's emotion evolved. This is more like a Miami Notre Dame rivalry that it's kind of spawned up from a lot of recent meetings between two really good teams. That every time you play, there's something big on the line. And that's what was so great about that 88 to 91 note or 90, like 87 to 90 stretch. I've said this before from, from, uh, what was it, 87, 88, 89, 90. And uh, in those four years, Miami won two national titles. The two years they didn't win it, 88 and 90. Do you know what happened in those two years? They lost to Notre Dame both times, right? So it, 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 there was no other reason for them to have a rivalry other than that, but it came from great games and where every single game that's played is there's something big on the line, yeah, right? And that's what Clemson and Miami is, or Clemson and Notre Dame has been. And I think there's a respect between the two programs as well. I think so too, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – I would, I would call it a rivalry. Is it like uh, – Notre it's a healthy Dame-ish. rivalry. Yeah. It's not like a hostile yeah. rivalry. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so. not. It's not like you hate Michigan's guts, right? Like you don't hate right. Clemson's guts. You just they're a good team, and you want to play yeah. well against them. And they've right. beaten you a couple times. You've beaten them a couple times. Like that's, right. that's and they've won the ones that mattered. And now this year, I think there's going to be a chance for Notre Dame to finally win one that that really matters. I think that Clemson November game is going to be huge. I think so too. Absolutely huge. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. From Katie Kievers, his thoughts on the safety prospect Marquise Gallegos. He is still on the board for Notre Dame. Is he still on the board for Notre Dame? Um, Yes-ish, Katie. I mean, I think he's on the board. I just think there's probably a lot of other guys ahead of him, and I don't don't know how – I mean, he's obviously interested enough to visit, which he did. I just don't know if that's one that's – either side is necessarily in love with the other at this point in time. Mm -hmm. He's a good player, in I my like opinion. Him. I'm not. I'm not like oh, oh, like I'm not over the moon with him. Like he's he's just a Kate. He's like a six foot six one, 165, 170 pound safety. He does work from depth pretty well. I think that he has pretty good eyes. He had a lot of ball production last year. I think he had like ninety something tackles, seven interceptions, and I think he had like two hundred fifty yards of interception return yardage. Like he's a, he's a good mm-hmm. player. I just I think there's more. I think there's just more upside on the board than Marquise. Like, I just think he's a good football player. I just don't, I, I think there might be limitations as far as like the upside compared mm-hmm. to some other guys on the board, in my opinion. My stance, I think I said it yesterday, Ryan, you, you can't take him once you got Kennedy or Lacker. Like it was one or the other. I like Kennedy better. You can't have both of them in the same. It's kind of like the Cole Sullivan, Bodie Cahoon conversation. They're both good, solid football players. I like, Bodie a lot more than Cole, but I'm just saying if, if we're going to just, let's say you're right on Cole Sullivan, Ryan, and, and he, you're, you're more right on him than I am. Okay. They're both good football players. You just can't yeah. take both if you're trying to win a title. And that's how I, I feel about there. Kennedy or Lacker and Marquise Gallegos. They're both good football players. But you can't take both of them. You got to take one of them and then shoot for even better with the rest of your class. And that's kind of how I feel about that. So I'm, um, yeah, I, I personally would have moved on. I don't know that Notre Dame has. I'm just giving you my opinion on that particular one. Next question from at Ain't Rocket Science. What is Jack and the Notre Dame administration waiting on in regards to pay raises for super assistants, Mike Mickens and Chancey Stuckey? Do we need to take up a collective as fans or? Look, man, here's the deal. <laughs> the way that Jack Swarbrick operates when it comes to assistant coaches, he doesn't give them pay raises, any, any meaningful pay raises, unless he has to, right? So when when uh, Chris O'Leary got pursued by the Colts, there now keep in mind, I still think Chris O'Leary leaves, but it was then that they offered to pay him more, right? Like, well, why didn't you just get on that beforehand and kind of lock him up? Now maybe he still leaves, right? You shouldn't have to wait for Chancey Stuckey to interview somewhere or Mike Mickens to interview somewhere or Dylan McCullough to interview somewhere to give them pay raises. 
You need you, to be you meant proactive. To say Brian, you meant to say Brian Mason, I think, by the way. You said Chris what did Lillard. I say? You said Chris Brian Lillard. Mason. Yes, Brian yeah. Mason. Sorry. Um, so, yes, Brian Mason. You you shouldn't have to wait for that. You need to be proactive. When guys do a great job, give them a bonus. I'm sure Jack asks for bonuses all the time, I would imagine. You know what I mean? But um, And that's something that, you know, look, and, and your head coach shouldn't have to, you know, manipulate titles to get them pay raises either. I mean – it should be like, hey, this this guy produced an All-American. This guy did a great job here. Guy did a great job there. Like, I, I'd be very curious to see what bonus structures are built into these ty- the assistant coaching salaries as well. You yeah. produce a you know consensus All-American, you get a hundred thousand dollar pay raise. You know, something like that, right? I mean, I would certainly do something like that. You you have one of your players drafted in the first round, you get a fifty thousand dollar bonus. I would absolutely have stuff like that built into my contracts. There's no question about it. Kirby Smart has things built. I, I I was told this. I don't know how true this is. This is what I was told by a couple of people that if 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 uh, Georgia finishes with a number one ranked recruiting class, that all their assistant coaches get bonuses. So yeah, sure, you know, have some fun with it. Here's an interesting one uh, from John A one. John's question is, I'm struggling on feeling good about quarterback. The positive Notre Dame has a starting quarterback who can completely run the offense. The struggle for me is, will he be an elite quarterback in college football and take over a game if Notre Dame needs it versus championship level competition? I think he can because I don't think he needs to do it the way that Trevor Lawrence did it in 2019. Is Sam Hartman going to do what Trevor Lawrence did in 2019? No. He's not going to go out there against Ohio State in the playoff and run for 100 yards. I don't see that. But I think there's different types of ways to take over the competition. Mac Jones took over the Notre Dame game with his mind and his accuracy. Just That's exactly what he did. We have seen that. And I think those are the things that Sam Hartman can do. He can, he can put a team on his shoulder, make throws, put the ball in the tight spots, uh, make reads, make checks, things like that that can can take over a game. I don't think you have the only way to take over a game. Like Drew Brees could take over a game. Drew Brees never did it with his legs, not that yeah. I remember. It was always with his mind and getting the ball where it needs to go. And hey, we need a play here. I'm going to give this guy a chance to to make a play. I'm going to avoid this sack and get the throw off. I think he can make plays in those games. Um, but you've got to have the town around you, and I in order to be that way. And I think that he'll have the talent around him this year. So I understand your, your, your question, John, because we've never seen him do that it, it, with outside of this year. I mean, I, I thought that's exactly what he did against Clemson this year, Ryan. Yeah. I thought he put that team on his shoulders and just made some ridiculous throws. That was the best the game second I've ever seen of him by far. Like that oh, was the best game I've ever seen. Yeah. And it was the yeah. biggest game they of his career. I mean, at Clemson top five team, you know, just, I mean, just they, you're, they you're went down, down pretty early. early in that game oh, yeah. too. And he, yep. know, his back against the wall was able to make some big time throws. So, yep. yeah, that was, uh, that was big time. That was big time. So he's got to show, show he can do it against Notre Dame, but we've seen him do it at wake. And so there's no reason to think he won't be able to do it at Notre Dame with, uh, without a, with a better supporting cast, in my opinion. Yep. Agreed. Next question from We Are Not Marshall. Would it break any of any hearts if the tight end position only has about 20 catches? I don't need to see 60 plus catches from that group. I mean, 20 catches well, is nothing. Man. I mean, yeah, like, that I mean, is dude, a small number. <laughs> we got to find a happy medium here, uh, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. So, yeah, I strongly disagree with that sentiment. It would break my heart if they only had 20, 20 catches from the tight 20 end. catches in 12 football games? That's less than two a game. Like, that right. is insanely low production yeah. from a position uh hard pass on that yes i would my heart would be broken if they only had 20 catches because that would be a problem i mean look you're a pro style team tight end has to be a part of what you're doing do you know the That's last time notre dame had below do you know the last time notre dame had below 20 catches from their tight end room do you know do you know what the last time that happened 90s probably 80s last time they had below 20 yeah was in 2016 Oh, okay. Forget it. I'm wrong. Well, but think about what that team was. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. no, I'd I'd rather not go there. Who's who's hard. the leading tight end that year? Was that Koyak? Durham uh Durham Smythe. Oh, Durham Smythe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. He had nine catches for 112 yards. And then Nick Wisher had three catches for 47 yards. He had 12 catches wow. from the tight end room. 
I, I haven't heard about I haven't heard Nick Wisher's name in a few years, man. It's been a while. Yep. They only had 20 catches from the tight ends the year before in 2015, and that proved yeah. problematic. You know, late in the year in a couple games when the receivers weren't stepping up, the tight ends weren't there to be relied upon. Yeah. I mean, they just weren't. They couldn't make plays against Clemson. They didn't make plays against Ohio State, and it hurt your offense. I think a, I think a tight end is incredibly important to a pro-style offense. Incredibly. I mean, nobody talks about – Ryan, you have – but how many yeah. people talk about the importance of the tight end in the 2019 LSU team? Oh, You've yeah. talked Thaddeus, about it. Thaddeus Moss, yeah. yeah. Very important to that team. Yeah. Because you just – he would always make that, that you know, hey, we're going to do everything we can to take these guys out and crap on third and five. That's the guy that beat us. Dang it. You know what I mean? Okay. I mean Thaddeus Moss had like – catches. I was about to say, he almost had 50 catches that year. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to have to disagree with you on that, buddy. Uh, I understand where you're coming from. I think that the premise being with the backs out of the backfield and all the receivers, the ball going to get spread around. I just to say, ha- let's find a happy medium. If, if you meet me in the middle and say 40. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm good with that. I can live with that because if the ball's being spread around outside, sure. I can live with that. But 20 way too low, way too low. Yeah. Well, Jane Thomas is a tight end. So. Yeah, yeah according to ESPN. Too. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. It's a very, <laughs> Benjamin, <it's> a very... <laughs> for Benjamin Carty who says, What are your thoughts on NCAA expansion game scheduling? Notre Dame home game in December would be cool to see. Well, I'm, I'm pulling it up. There's some some things I don't like about it, and there's some things that I do like about it. Let me let me pull up the the new thing, right? What, what so First round is going to be on-campus games Friday, December 20th. They'll have one game in the evening. And then Saturday, December 21st, they're going to have three games. Uh, I'm, 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 look, you can't have – the reality is if you're playing four first-round games, you can't have them all in one day. Just It's not possible. And Unless you're going to have a game at like 9 a.m. It's not possible. So, yeah, Friday night game and then three the next day, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I would love to have a Notre Dame game. Because like right now, the way that they just – completely have done such a poor job marketing the other bowl games. Nobody's watching those bowl games on, de- on December 20th and 21st, sadly, except for losers like me and you, you know? Um, so I'm watching, yeah. man, I'm watching middle yeah. Tennessee in the, uh, Oh yeah. Whatever. I love those bowl games. I absolutely love those bowl games. Bahamas, then, something yeah. breeze bowl. Whatever yeah. we got going I mean, on. <laughs> I, I dig that. And then the quarter, here's where, here's where I don't like it. Here's where I don't like it. The quarterfinals, are on Tuesday, December 31st, and Wednesday, January 1st. And then the semifinals are on Thursday and a Friday because they don't want to have to compete against the NFL playoffs and NFL postseason. I hate that. And then the national championship game is on a Monday. Yeah, Look, I understand why they're doing it, but the national championship game should be on a Saturday. If it's not going to be on January 1st like it used to be, then it should be on a Saturday. I'm sorry. It just should. But they don't want to compete against the NFL. I guess. So I, I, I'm fine with the, the first round games in December. And, and, you know, I guess the quarterfinals is going to be more about Ryan, just getting them around that new year's period. So some years it's going to be in the middle of the week. Some years it's going to be later, whatever. It's not that big yeah. a deal, but the semifinals being on a Thursday and a Friday, I think is terrible. Absolutely terrible. I think that's a stupid idea. A really yeah. stupid idea. And then the national championship game now is going to be January 20th. The first one is going to be January 20th. So the semifinals are the 9th and the 10th of Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. And then the title game is on a Monday, January 20th. I hate that. I, yeah, I, don't, like hate the, that. I, don't, I don't like the Monday championship game stuff either. It's kind of weird yeah. to me. It's kind of weird. No. I, and especially since you're now having you know, 30, 35, like thir- Thursday and a Friday game. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Is it is it the uh, is college basketball championship? Isn't that always on a Monday too? And I'm just like, this yeah, is weird. the final four like games is on Saturday, and then the championship game. Yeah, but at least it's always kind of been that way. And there's not like a designated. This is the day for, um, this is the day for basketball games, right? right? I mean, you know, I'm still old. I'm still old, so I would still like it to be on a Friday or Saturday night <laughs> instead of a. Monday night, but. but you're not old. You're just old. You know what I mean? Like I'm an you, you old know. soul, man. Yes, you are. Soul. You are, but your body's not old. Uh, so, <laughs> Tell that um, to my body. <laughs> I know. Right. I know. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm looking at something here real quick. Uh, I just saw 
something. You're, uh, you're ignoring me. No, I'm not ignoring you. I'm I'm looking at something lucky right now. Lucky lefty listeners. Lucky lefty listeners. Lucky no, lefty don't listeners. don't do it. Um, <laughs> I don't want you to slip up or something. I just saw a list, and I'm actually going to go look at something here real quick that I thought was funny. I just want to see this here real quick. No, okay, I get that. All right, um, punt returners. I thought I saw a list of top 100 returners in the 21st century, and there was no there. Uh, the list looked a little ridiculous. Was, but it was, was it was it big game boomer? Was it of big course. game boomer? I didn't even want to say the name. I didn't want to say the the name. Did you see it did a a, uh, kicker list or something like that since the since the two thousands? I'm like, why is this a list? One, and also he had Blake Groupie on there, and he didn't have Tyler Buck. I mean, he didn't have um, Justin Yoon on there. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, sure. (laughs) Whatever. All right, here we go. Andre Tonsil with a question. Andre says, "I believe defense needs to be top ten to be in the mix for championship." Thoughts, just defensive line and linebackers are question marks on this team. Well, I think safety is a question mark. I do. Yes, it's uh, a major question for me. Mark. I, I yeah. think it's the biggest question mark on defense. Does it need to be top 10? Well, Andre, that's it depends on it's it, Notre Dame's defenses in the past have needed to be top 10. I think the reason that I would say not really is because the way they schedule is a little bit different. So this year, maybe because the way that the schedule makes shaped up but like they're going to play some great offenses this year it's going to be very hard for Notre Dame to be ranking in the top 10 defensively when you've got to play Ohio State and Clemson and USC and and NC State with Robert and I running that offense now and that's why we're a fan of context man everybody's playing the same schedule every year yeah but I mean you can't get too far outside of the top 10 right and and again are we talking what top 10 are we talking about are we talking about efficiency are we talking about with the like some of the efficiency numbers taken into context, just the, your schedule who you played, sure, I think you need to be there. But what I was more referring to is more like a scoring defense, yards defense. You need to be a top fifteen scoring defense, in my opinion, to to be a championship team. But I could rank fourteenth in scoring defense, and you could rank seventh, and I have a better defense because you played no one and I played really good teams. So it's just about the context, Andre. But you know, does it need to be top 10 if the offense is as good as we think it is, Ryan? I don't think it needs to be top 10. But I will say this to Andre's point. It can't be that far out of the top 10. It can't be 25, in my opinion. Because as good as the offense, I think the offense will be, it's not going to be LSU 2019 or anything close. Anything close to that. And that's about the only way you can win a title with a defense that's not in the top 25. Because what was... What was LSU scoring defense in nineteen? They gave up over twenty points a game. They ranked. They were like I thought thirty first. Like, I was going to say I, I was going to guess twenty nine, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They ranked thirty first in scoring defense that year, but they also had one of the most explosive offenses in college football history. You know, L- they, LSU's they scored 48 defense points a game. LSU's defense was a big question mark going closer to the pro season, but I remember they really got better down the stretch of the season, right. so they were a little bit less of a concern. But early on in that season, LSU's defense was not great. Wasn't great. Well, is less of a concern. They still weren't great by any stretch. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they gave up 614 yards in a November game to Ole Miss. Yeah, you know, uh, they gave up 541 yards and eight yards of carry, eight yards of play in a November game to Alabama. Part of the reason they got better down the stretch is they played Arkansas and Texas A and M. But they did play where where they played a lot better is they played great against Georgia in the SEC title game. And they made key stops against Clemson. Early Clemson was moving it on them early. But the the thing that – you know what really helped LSU in that game that not a lot of people talk about? It wasn't their defense and it wasn't their offense. Their special teams early in that game was phenomenal. They kept pinning Clemson inside the 10. And yeah. Clemson's backed up. And that's exactly what Notre Dame did to them in 2018 and why Notre Dame had a chance to go up double digits early in that game. They just – then that turnover to Ian Book just got them in trouble. Because remember that first drive, they Clem, they pinned Clemson back. And and forced an, an early deep punt, and they got the ball at midfield, and that's when you had to fumble by Ian Book. But, was that uh, uh, was that who's the punter? Jay Bramlett, or was that Tyler Newsom at that? Uh, point? I believe it was. I believe it was Newsom. Newsom? Uh, let, let, let me because that was 2018. I believe it was Newsom, but I could be wrong on that. Let me just let me just go look here real quick. Ryan punting. It was Tyler Newsom. Yeah, since last year. Yeah. Yeah, a good so yeah, yeah, and a great leg. Didn't always con- not to control it, but man, when he got a hold of one, it was, it was gonna go. Yes. He, he, here's one, Ryan. I'm gonna read because I want you to answer it from Mike Sullivan, who's the national championship game MVP. Tyler Buckner, or Sam Hartman. 
Well, I, ho- I hope it's Sam Hartman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I hope it's Neither. Sam Hartman, man. Neither. Wouldn't it be wild? Wouldn't it be wild if we had a Tyler Buckner Sam Hartman national championship game? That would be pretty wild. That, man. that would be a. <laughs> could you imagine the ratings for that game? The storylines in that game? Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But let, let's hope it's Sam Hartman in that situation, Mike. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Katie said, uh, I despise the championship game being uh, Monday, played Monday night, Saturday night, please, like the rest of the season. I agree with her, but you see that picture? Katie's holding a baby. I could imagine with work and having young children that a Monday night game would suck. (laughs) I would have a feeling it would suck if you're a parent. I can't speak to that. So uh, I sympathize with you. But that's the thing is college football has a day where its games are played. It's, It's, you know. So I just how about you how about you work out deals with the NFL to not have their games on Saturdays? You know what I mean? Why is it always college football has to you know to placate to the NFL? Oh, that's right, because it's all about TV. Why are we shortening? Why are we doing things to shorten games? Because it's TV. Here's a simple fix to games being too long. Don't have TV timeouts as long. Have a shorter halftime, like every other level of football, right? Don't make your you know make take a minute off of every commercial break. Why don't you do that? Oh well, can't do that. Why? Because uh, we somebody's paying for that spot. We're only man. here to make somebody's money. Like, okay, yeah. at least be honest yeah. about it. Don't talk to me about shortening yeah. games and fewer plays. Blah 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 blah. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear. It's about speaking money. to your point, though, as a uh, as a person with a young child and another one coming, uh, you'll never get to see a game, the start of a game ever again. So you'll always be a couple minutes late. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. I, right, I wanted to watch a little bit of the Sixers game last night, and I didn't get to even look at any of it until probably about 10 minutes into that game. Luckily, because the Sixers were terrible last night. So, yeah. Yes. Did they did they lost last night? Oh, they got smoked, man. They lost by like 40 last night to the Celtics after winning game one. Gotcha. So, yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Uh, somebody said something about um, – somebody said Luke Talich was put on scholarship at safety. I haven't seen anything about that. So I can't comment on that. So Ryan, if you could reach out to him, I'm not going to comment on that until we get confirmation that that actually happened. Now here, here's an interesting one, Ryan. This is from Archer four five two. He says Ohio State's three recent teams that were championship caliber but didn't win 2015, 2019, and 2022. Man, it sure would have been nice to have three more trophies in that cabinet. I don't know that I would. This is going to sound crazy because if they'd have beat Georgia, they'd have won a title. But I, I don't think this Ohio State team was necessarily championship caliber. The only reason they were even in the Georgia game, in my opinion, was because C.J. Stroud was like Superman in that game. Like yes. He played out of his mind. I thought Stetson stunk early in that game, and Ohio State still couldn't win. Uh, but, I mean, you can't say they got to the playoff and lost by a point. So And if they'd have beat, the, if they'd have beat Georgia, they probably beat TCU. Although I don't think it's a given that they'd have beat TCU just because the matchup, I think TCU would have scored on Ohio State. I mean, they just scored 51 on a team that's dominated Ohio State the last two years. So is that good? Uh, it's pretty good. But <laughs> the 2019 team, yeah, I'll give you that one. That was a really good team. But championship, but they're not. Here's the thing there's nobody who's going to beat LSU that year in the postseason. Nobody. Yep. And I'll say this, I think that Ohio State's defense would have matched up better against LSU's offense than Clemson's defense that year. Oh, agree. It would have been a more competitive game without yeah. question. Yeah. But Ohio State's offense wouldn't have been able to move the ball on they couldn't move the ball on Clemson, right? If they'd have fallen behind, no, I don't that was an Ohio State offense that, that scored a lot of points that year, but I I always felt like they kind of it was uh, how do I say this? I'm trying to be kind and, and not be too extreme with my comment because it's 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 every time I say this, it sounds a lot harsher. They padded their stats against a lot of crap teams on their schedule. It's the moral of the story. They didn't play great on offense against Wisconsin. If you remember that game, they were trailing Wisconsin at halftime in the Big Ten title game. And they couldn't score on Clemson. And I mean, in that game, I think that. The, the outcome would have been different. It just wouldn't have been as high score, higher as high scoring. They, they, there's dead no shot at beating LSU. With all due respect to Justin Fields, but that defense was pretty good. That yeah. defense was really good. So I would, but I would definitely put that team in there. And honestly, I'll say something else. People are going to take. 
if the Big Ten was not so stupid during COVID, I'm just going to piss some people off. I don't care. If the Big Ten wasn't stupid during COVID and actually followed the science and and had a normal offseason like other D- teams did, that was, that was going to be a really freaking good Ohio State team in 2020. A really good Ohio State team. But the Big Ten basically got screwed of having any chance to compete because they played seven games. They hadn't – I mean, seven games is when you're just now starting to hit your peak in a season, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, it's not time to play for a title. It's you're just now starting to hit your peak. How many games did Bama play that year? 12, right? I yeah, think Bama SEC played 12. had a full schedule, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they went 13-0 and 0 that year. The the uh, the they played a full conference schedule. Yeah, ten regular season games, the SEC title game, and the two postseason games. I really thought that Ohio State team, if they would have had a normal off season, had a chance to be really good in 2020, really good. But um, yeah, they just never they just never got their shot really to be that team. I mean, that was Alave's junior year. You had Garrett Wilson on the team, Jameson Williams on the team, Jeremy Ruckert on that team. You had Trey Sermon and Master Fields. You had Justin Fields. I mean, uh, Master Teague, Justin Fields. Their defense wasn't great that year, but it wasn't bad either. It was a good defense. But that offense, if it would have had a full – if that offense would have had a full offseason, that would have been the best offense Ohio State ever had, in my opinion. Like, I really I really believe that because that, that team was loaded. But they were just never given a chance by their conference, in my opinion. I like I the just name Master Fields. Were. Master Fields. Huh? Master name. Fields. That's a great That's a name. Cool name. Yes. That is a great name. <laughs> Not it's no one that I know. It's a completely made up name. But this is why I won't say lucky lefty listeners three five times fast because I'm going to mess it up. I can't even say Master <laughs> Teague correctly. So yeah. But uh, anyway, more questions here. Let's move yes. on. From Jason Rose says, Hey guys, every team has their glue guy. That glue guy. Who was the glue guy on both of Notre Dame's playoff teams? 18, their glue guy on defense was they had two in my opinion. And it was Drew Tranquil and Alohi Gilman were their glue yeah. guys in 2018 on defense. Alohi's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. O- yeah. On offense, I mean, honestly, it's going to sound weird, but they were such a different team when Dexter Williams came back from injury. Now, he wasn't their glue guy in the traditional sense and that he was a leader because he wasn't. But when you when you plug Dex into that offense, it was a different team. It just was. Yeah. It was a completely different team. Who Who was the glue guy on that team? I'll tell you who it was. It was a kid who didn't even play most of the year. It was Alex Bars. Alex Bars got hurt against in September against Stanford. What a lot of people don't realize, Alex Bars was doing meetings with offensive linemen, going over film with them. He was coaching them in different ways. He was being a leader to that young offensive line in ways that they don't have the success they have if he doesn't do that. And so he was their glue guy on offense. 2020? The glue guy on offense, Ryan, to me, is, is Ian Book. I mean, that's where yeah. I give Ian Book. Keeping that team together that offseason was tremendous. I mean, he he did a tremendous job with that. I mean, he, he I thought that's that was the most impressive thing he did was as a leader with keeping that team together. Robert and, Hainsey and seems like he would probably be a glue guy, Hainsey's too. part of that, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. no, those guys stayed together. They competed. They stayed locked in as much as they could when COVID shut them down twice, sometimes because of what happened with other teams. But remember, they had a had an outbreak in camp, and it cost them some time at camp. And then they had to cancel that. There was a game that they had to cancel because they had several guys test positive for yeah. it during, uh, I think it was uh, between the before the Florida State game, right? And that team just stayed together. I was impressive by the leadership of that team. I'd say the, the glue guy on defense, I'd probably have to say, Probably Kurt Heinish, Myra Tugvaloa, Mosa. Those two guys were probably the guys I'd throw in there as far as just those leaders that just kept that team together. That's probably who I would who I would say were the glue guys on those teams. Anyone else? You can you? I mean, Jeremiah Usakormo was a great player, but I wouldn't necessarily call him like a glue guy. He was just that's your I think, dude. I, I think Kurt Heinish is a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one makes a yeah. lot of sense. All right, let's get to some more as we get closer. We're getting closer to the end here, Ryan. Ryan, Ryan S7, Schulte says, how many interior defensive linemen are going to have to produce to make Notre Dame a championship caliber team this year? All of them. I mean, yeah. look, you're going to need anyone that plays to produce. I'm going to, I'm going to be respectful to the question. Cause I think where he's coming from with that is 
Like who needs to be like impact producers, right? Who needs to be guys that can kind of do it consistently? I'm being a little bit sarcastic with the all of them. You know, if you're playing, you got to produce. But it, uh, it, to your question, Ryan, I, I think it's a very good question. And and here's great name here's, by the way, great name. Yes, I'm. <laughs> yeah, Schulte is a great name. Yes. So when <laughs> you need you need Jordan Patelho or another Viper. I mean, if some, if I don't care who it is, you need if one of your vipers needs to be a, a legit pass rusher, at least one. Yeah. Yep. You need Riley Mills, in my opinion, to be a. He needs to not fall into the Jason Adamiola trap of you get disruptions, but you never make plays in the ball. Mills He's got to make plays in the man. ball. He's got a right? dude. Yeah. And then I would argue another guy. So, so to me, that would make you a very good defense. Here's the secret sauce. The secret sauce is twofold. One is you need a you need a a a a guy coming off the bench that's disruptive. An Onye, a you know you need that guy. Won't have the big numbers, Ryan, but just that disruptive off the bench guy up the middle. Yeah. And then the last piece of this is Javante Jean Baptiste. If he because we're talking about championship, right? We're talking about championship, not just good, but championship. Yep. If you can get pass rushing production from both end spots. This was the difference between the 2018 teams and the 20 and 21 defenses. The 2018 team, they could rush the passer from everywhere. Three technique, big end, Viper, all of them, right? And this team, the 2020 team, the 2021 team had one guy that could really consistently rush the quarterback. That's it. And if you could stop Isaiah Foskey, you stop Notre Dame's pass rush. Now that was much harder to do then you know i mean it's easy to say hard to do in 2021 uh, which i thought was my isaiah foskey's best year as a pass rusher by far was was that season because there was a consistency to him right and i don't know if you agree with that or not yeah but if you can get pass rushing production from both ends that makes you very hard to stop very hard to stop in those big games because what are we talking about right we're talking about ohio state clemson right ohio state was able to shut down isaiah foskey last year and once you did that no name's pass rush is dead. It was dead, yeah. Yep. Right. And you know, now it's like if you got to stop one guy and that's it, then you're in trouble. If you've got to stop multiple guys, that's when you it, hey, we shut down Jordan Badejo. Yeah, but because you kept sliding your protection to him, which meant, you know, your big end, Javante Jean Baptiste was killing your your other tackle in one-on-ones, or you kept sliding there and right, you know, Riley Mills was was whooping your guards' butts or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna need that other that other secondary production. And that's true everywhere, Ryan. Like you can't just have one dude. Because I can take one. If I'm a great team too, I can take one dude out of the game, right? I thought, I thought that that Ohio State did a pretty good job, in my opinion, uh, of making sure that Brock Bowers didn't kill them in the semifinal game. Would you agree with that? At least early on. Yeah. Right. Brock had four catches, sixty-four yards. Didn't really take over that game. But that's left them exposed in some other big plays. And so what happened? Other guys went out and made – Adonai Mitchell went out and made a big play. Ladd McConkie had some big plays. Other guys stepped up and had big, you know made big plays. And that's what you have to be, right? So you couldn't take Brock Bowers out of the game and say, okay, we took Brock out, we're good. Because somebody else is going to step up and beat you. That's just yeah. the way that that Georgia team – that's what made them so hard to stop. Is, and none of those guys were great players, but just like, hey, look, okay, you want to take that guy? I can take that guy out. Cool, I'll go step up and make a play. That's what made Clemson so good. You know, you take Mike Williams out, all right, it's fine. Deion Kane's going to go make a big play. Hunter Renfro is <laughs> going to go make a big play. Artavis Scott's going to convert a third and four. You know, Jordan just, Leggett at tight end. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's another guy yeah. that caught a big pass in that, in that championship game. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State was is is that some of their best teams are that way. And you want to take Garrett Wilson out, that's fine. You want to take you want to take Chris Olave out too. You want to focus all your attention on our outside guys. Okay, that's fine. Jackson Smith and Jacobs are going to catch ten passes yeah. for one hundred fifty yards. I mean, that, J.K. Dobbins is going to catch a wheel route out of the backfield. That's fine if you want to if you want to do that. And that's what the best teams do. You can't just have a, a guy making plays at a position. I don't care who it is. Jeremy Jeremy Rucker, Rucker seemed to play his best football in like playoffs and championship games as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. So you, those three guys are the key: Viper, Mills, and Javante Jean Baptiste. Have have at least two of them have to be good every game, every big game. At least two of them. And that's that's yeah that's where I'm at on that one, Ryan. I, I love saying Javante Jean Baptiste by the way. Javante Javante Jean Baptiste. It's a great yep. game. Great name, man.
here's an interesting one, Ryan, uh, from Archer four five two. What would I'm going to add? I'm going to read yeah. this because I want you to answer it first. Because it, it it comes from the question earlier. We talked about what would what would USC have been without without Caleb Caleb Williams. And Archer four five two says, "What would Bama have been without Bryce Young?" I say seven and five. Let's say you, Ryan. I have a very strong opinion I, on this. I, I think seven and five is way too low. I mean, Archer, I would say like nine and three, something like that. Like they would definitely wouldn't be a great team because I mean we talked about. It. I think that that was one of Alabama's worst teams over the last few years. I mean, it was definitely the 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 depleted of talent yeah. at certain spots and wide receivers specifically is one. Right. But I mean, offensive line wise, you still had a good offensive line this year. You still had some right. guys on defense that are still really good players. I think that you could have gutted out some games and it would have been maybe a little bit uglier. Some of the football games you win, but I still need to go nine and three. I, I love Bryce though. I think Bryce is a great player. He did a lot with some struggling players this year, in my opinion at times, but I still need to go nine and three, man. It's, it's Nick Saban at the end of the day. Like they're not going to be a terrible team, you know, it's just not going to be. Because my question is, Ryan, who would they have lost to without right. him? Right. Are they going to lose to Utah? So, so they they're going to still lose the two games they lost. Yep. So then Utah State, no. Texas, maybe. But Bryce didn't play very well that game. He was terrible that game. He had five point five yards per attempt that game. That was one of the worst games of Bryce Young's career. He went twenty seven of thirty nine for two hundred and thirteen yards in that game. Yeah. Uh, not a very good game. They're not losing to Louisiana Monroe. They're not losing to Vanderbilt. They actually literally lost him against Arkansas, and they were losing, I believe, when he got hurt or the possession after that he got hurt. And they ended up winning by 20-some points because Jalen Milrow went off in the second half as a runner. Then they played the next week against Texas A&M without him and won, lost to Tennessee. They still beat Mississippi State without him. They still lose to LSU. They beat Austin P. They beat Auburn. The only other potential game is you'd have had to go oh, – you'd have had to go like – You'd have to lose to Ole Miss and Texas, and then one of those other teams to be seven and five, and I just don't see it here. And, and I'm going to say something else. Here's a hot take for me. I think Bama's offense this year is going to be better than it was last year. Do you want to know why? Not because of the offensive coordinator per se or the quarterback position, because Bama has become so dependent upon the quarterback and has gone away from their identity. I think that this year, Ryan, we're going to see them run the football a lot more this year, and that's truly Bama football. Because the way I look at it is, so Bama really transitioned away from their their style of play in what year 2018 right that's when they transitioned mm-hmm. away from it how many titles have they won in that stretch one and yeah. it was during the covid year yeah where they were a very experienced team the reason that i believe is because they have gone away from georgia is the new bama georgia's doing right now what bama did to win them all but one of nick saban's titles great defense Power football, efficient, big play pass game. That's Bama football. And and I think that the issues of quarterback this year are going to force them to be more of a, we got to rely on the run game. And what would have happened last year if Bryce got hurt? Let's say Bryce got hurt against against um, Utah State and, he, and he's out for the year. That would have forced them to rely more on the offensive line in the run game. And I think they'd have been just fine. Now, they wouldn't have been as productive points per game and all that kind of stuff, but they'd have been a much more efficient offense, and and they still would have lost to the teams they lost to. But I think you could argue that they may not have lost to LSU if they were Bama football, right? So they wouldn't have been better than they were with Bryce. I'm just saying I think that if Bryce would have played on an offense that was run correctly – it would have made him even better because he wouldn't have had to carry the load all the stinking time, like he unnecessarily, yeah. like he did, you know. And and that's something that I think would have changed. I actually think they're going to have a chance to be. They may not score as many points as they did last year, but they're going to be a more efficient offense this year than they were last year, simply Possible. because they can't rely on Bryce anymore. They're going to have to rely on their offensive line more, and I think that's going to be a good thing for Alabama. Now we'll see if the offensive coordinator and quarterback can keep. You know, they, they've got to still be good. But I, I think that the, I think the recipe for Bama this year is going to look a lot more like it did in the past. We got to play good defense, and we got to, be, you know, be better. Now, the it's question is, is, is how good is yeah. their coaching going to be? Because we'll see how the offensive coordinator hire works out. I thought the Kevin Steele hire was awful. Like I literally didn't think they could they could have a downgrade from Pete Golding, and then he hired Kevin Steele, and I was like, wow, okay. I I don't know if that's a downgrade from Pete Golding though. I think Kevin <laughs> Steele is really terrible. Know. 
I think he's awful. Hey, Golding was pretty bad himself. Did you see the Miami defense? Oh, he was, but did you see the Miami defense last year? Kevin Steele gets hired for one reason and one reason only, to recruit. And then he helps build up your roster, and then he leaves, and you bring in a real defensive coordinator. It's exactly what happened to Clemson. Kevin Steele was the guy that oversaw the 70-33 to debacle in the Orange Bowl. He gets fired, but he did a good job recruiting. They bring in Brent Venables, who's a much better coach, and all of a sudden their defense gets better. It's not a coincidence. He is, I think the only worst defensive coordinator Auburn's ever had is Brian Van Gorder. It's the only guy that's been worse in Auburn than Kevin Steele was. Um, but yeah, it's it's not good. That was a bad hire. It's a really bad hire. Speaking of D coordinators, this is an interesting question, Ryan. From Andrew Burke, who says, with all due respect to Al Golden, how much more confidence would you be winning a title with Mike Elko as the defensive coordinator? I mean, substantial, substantial. Yeah, because he's a proven com- he's a proven commodity. Yeah. Like I know who my- I know who Mike Elko is. He's a really good college coach. He's a really good college defensive coordinator. Al Golden, the jury's still out because literally before this past year, we hadn't seen him be a defensive coordinator since two thousand four, right? Like something like that, like some crazy number like that. So, I mean, Mike Elko is a known commodity, and we've also seen it at Notre Dame, where Mike Elko can turn things around pretty quickly as far as how good a defense yeah. is. So, substantially more. You you left something out, Ryan. You know what else Mike Elko was really good at? Coaching. R- recruiting. Recruiting, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Could yeah. you imagine Mike Elko and Marcus Freeman? Like, let's just say hypothetically that Mike Elko didn't get the Duke job and he just was so ready to be done with Texas A&M that he's like, you know what? Love my time in South Bend. My kids are a little older. Let me go back to South Bend and work with Marcus Freeman. Could yeah. you imagine the recruiting classes on defense that Mike Elko and Marcus Freeman would bring in together? Are you kidding me? That would be in nuts. That would be fun. That would make your job a lot more fun, Ryan. I can, pro- <laughs> I can promise you that. Yeah, I can promise you that. They would recruit at an insanely high level because he was a – and he wasn't even here very long. He was a very impactful recruiter. Yeah. Very impactful recruiter. That would have been a lot of fun to watch, man. A lot of fun to watch. All right. Let's get to the uh, last couple here, Ryan, that we'll get to. Here's one from Timeout Tom. Actually, we do have a super sticker from Shelton Hager. Thank you very, very much, Shelton. I hope that everything went well uh, with your uh, everything with your your wife and the new baby. So hopefully I would imagine since he's given us a super sticker that everything went <laughs> Everything's well okay. and your yeah. and your your new baby is now uh, good and healthy and mama's healthy and all that kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully that is the case, Shelton. But uh, here, here's one from Timeout Tom, Ryan. Timeout Tom says, considering Jared Parker is an unknown commodity, should Notre Dame limits what you show before the Ohio State game or show so much that Ohio State has to waste time preparing for it? Neither. I, I Look, coaches and fans spend way too much time on this, right? Like way too much time. First of all, you don't ever repeat the same exact game plan and play calling sequence from the previous games. They're going to have – you can say, okay, well, don't show a lot. Okay, but then you haven't had a chance to really get game action with your best stuff, and you're going to wait until, you know, Ohio State to do that? Go yeah. do your – go run – look, if you are who you think you are as a football team, then just be you and play your game and then let the chips fall where they may. Coaches spend way too much time and fans spend way too much time Focusing on this, well, don't show you got four games to play before you play Ohio State. Four freak you're gonna save your offense until game five. Now, and I'm and, and Tom, I understand where you're coming from because there are coaches who think this way. Yes. But my A thing lot, is actually and, yeah. and, 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 I, and don't overdo it either. Run your offense, get your players to be good at what they do, and then you'll have a unique game plan for Ohio State, and then go execute that game. I mean, that, that's where I'm at, Ryan. I, you, sh- you shouldn't have to be this gimmicky stuff, right, man? Like, I want yeah. Sam Hartman to have that offense mastered by game five. I don't care if Ohio State knows what's coming. You still got to stop it. You know, I, and get your offense rolling. Let them run the stuff that is your bread and butter. Now, are there a couple wrinkles that you may hold back? Uh, I, but that's always true, Ryan. You always hold back wrinkles you don't need to beat the teams that you're playing that you may need to beat another team, but that's called game planning. You know, I it, we didn't hold it back. We just didn't need it in this game. You didn't need right? it, yeah. You didn't need the kitchen and, sink in this football game. Right. right. So, yep. I, but I don't view that as holding back. This is, we're going to get good at, we don't, we need to run our foundational stuff. We need to go out there and master our, 
our, our basics and, and dominate with that. And then we can build on other stuff, but that's part of team, team development. That's not this intentional holding back stuff that we would otherwise run. Cause we don't want to show Ohio state something. I don't care about all yeah. that, man. Just look, Clemson knew what was coming every single snap and they couldn't do a dang thing about it. So did Syracuse. Right. <laughs> right. Focus on that. Right. Yeah. Focus on that. And then you'll be fine. Be good at and what you do, man. Be good at what you do. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All right. And then uh, here's the last uh, last one that I see, Ryan, that we have here from Robert Bishop. Robert says, do you guys think that Tyler Buckner was given some sort of guarantee from Bama and Tommy Reese? I highly doubt it. Yeah. I highly doubt it. And here's the thing. If he was given a guarantee, Nick Saban's not honoring that. That's not how I was Nick, about to say. I'm not sure Nick, that's how Nick Saban right. rolls, right? Ryan, <laughs> Nick Saban did not get to seven national champs because it was got he's got six at Bama, right? He yes. won nine, eleven, twelve, fifteen, seventeen, twenty, and then one at LSU. This guy's got seven national champs. He didn't win seven national chi- titles by promising guy stuff they hadn't earned. That's yes. not the culture. And if he did promise them that then that's the beginning of the end for Alabama. And it has nothing to do with Tom Reese or Tyler Buckner. It just means Nick Saban is not who he, who he was. That was, that was the downfall of the Jim Trestle era. In my opinion, he allowed Terrell Pryor to get away with things. He would have never allowed any other player to get away with because he felt he needed to, to cater to this five-star guy. And he lost the culture, lost the team. And to me, Nick Saban's not going to do that. Now a guarantee will be, you're going to get every opportunity to win starting job. Every opportunity, but I'm also giving Tyler Ty Simpson that guarantee as well. Yeah. I'm also going to give Daylon Lonergan that opportunity as well. You're gonna have to earn it. You're not yeah. gonna win. It. Look, Nick Saban's trying to win the championship. That's that's all he cares about. And and I'll I'll do respect to Tommy Reese also. It, it if Nick was to sign off on that, I think it's not going to be from a first year offensive coordinator that he just hired as well. You know, right. it's going to be a guy that's been with him a long longer that he trusts a little bit more than that to right. be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Never seen this guy, but like, yeah, yeah, guarantee it to him. Guarantee. If it. Kirby was Smart was as still as D coordinator and went to him and said, hey, we got to promise this defensive end a starting job to get him, there'd have been like, okay, but you better manage him, right? Yeah. Yes. I, Tr- I don't trust, see that. Trust is built with time, right? Trust is built with time. So especially right. with a guy that's. 70 and like you just said has seven national championships <laughs> like right. you know like yeah, yeah right there's no way no way he's promising him that job in my opinion yeah. and yeah and i don't think tommy reese would make that guarantee i i i think i, I think the I don't conversation think it would be wise like if he did because that's like putting yourself yeah. in a tough situation in case he's not the guy right yeah. like that's just tough stuff i think the conversation went something like this look you know me you know my offense you know how much i believe in you the guys here, I don't think run what they, they don't run the offense. I need them to run. And, and I, I need a guy like you well, yeah. coach. I, I want to go somewhere and we'll start. Hey, look, I understand that you come here, you compete. I think you're the best guy in the room right now. You got to earn it though. You got to prove it. You got to prove it to coach Saban. You got to prove it to your teammates and all that, but you're, I'm going to give you every opportunity to win that job because yeah. I know you, because I trust you, because we have a relationship. You've always been honest with me. Even when it was bringing in Sam Hartman, he was still honest with Tyler Buckner. Tyler knew exactly what they were going to do. And so it was, you're going to have to come here and compete. Right. And if you do, if, if you play your game, I know what you can be. Cause here's the thing. If Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson both play to their full potential, Tyler Buckner's going to start. I know that some Notre Dame fans who have an obsession with hating Tyler Buckner don't think that, but if Tyler Buckner plays his best game, his best football, he's the best quarterback they have in my opinion. Now I think, down the road, Dylan Lonergan has a chance to be their best quarterback, but he's a true freshman. But Tyler Buckner's more talented than Ty Simpson. I'm he is. He's certainly a better quarterback than Jalen Milrow. Because if you think Tyler Buckner has issues throwing the football, you, maybe you haven't watched Jalen Milrow play. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, you know, I I I'll be shocked if he doesn't start there. But it's simply it has more to do with I'm just not the biggest Ty Simpson fan in the world. Yeah. It, more so than having a thinking Tyler Buckner is going to be this Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. That's that's really where it comes to for me. And the fact that Dylan Lonergan's not ready yet. And honestly, I'll say this if Tyler struggles, don't be shocked if his eventual replacement is Dylan Lonergan and not Ty Simpson. Don't be that guy has got a m- tremendous tools 
If you haven't seen Dylan Lonergan play, Ryan, you've watched him play recently. Didn't you yep. watch this film recently when we were talking about it? Yep. That guy's got a lot of talent. And apparently he's That's not going to play baseball anymore, which is surprising to me because he was a guy that people talk about maybe a first-round draft pick. That guy has as live of an arm as you're going to see. It is – It is. He's and he's athletic. Yeah. Too. He can run around and, and scramble. And throw. He's not like a Tyler Buckner runner. He's more of a scrambler. You know, Standard. like he's more, yeah. he's more Ian book than he is Tyler Buckner. Would you say that's fair? Meaning he yeah. can run in like he'll, he'll, when things break down in the past game is when his legs become dangerous. Not so much like yeah. he's going to run a bunch of power O's P- and pick some, picks, pick up some first rounds when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he's really good. He's really talented. But again, are you going to ask, is he a guy that's ready to start as a freshman? No, no. But if Buckner struggles and you've already lost a game or two, it's time to go to the future and the future is not Ty Simpson. In my opinion, it's, it's still in honor again, in my view, that's just my two cents. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, Ryan thoughts I, on I, that. We talked about it before. I just haven't seen Ty Simpson. So I have no yeah. opinion on Ty Simpson. I didn't you never saw him in high school, high school or anything like that. Not really. He's a no. coach's kid. He, yeah. he got over, he started getting hyped up when Bama went after him. He's got a nice arm, nice athlete. He's um, he, he's got some Ian book to him. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, just and but he processes better than Ian books. I mean, he's not a bad quarterback, but people are oh, five star, and I'm like, nah, he ain't that. He's a good player though. Yeah, I just think he doesn't have the ceiling to me. Like, are you gonna are you gonna play him and stunt the development of Dylan Lonergan at that point in time? I I don't know. Now, if Ty beats out Tyler Buckner, then he'll be the starting quarterback. Sure. My whole thing is, but if Buckner beats out Ty Simpson, he'll never become the starting quarterback unless Buckner gets hurt in like the first two games. That would be my, that's my, that's kind of my thing. But if he'd have, he's going to, if he doesn't, it's, you know what it is, Ryan, it's exactly what you said. The scare, the danger for Tyler Buckner is right. Which was a good point mm-hmm. is if Tyler doesn't win the starting job right away, he's the oldest dude in the room. It's going to get buried. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of the thing for me with Ty Simpson is like, if he doesn't win the job now, this is his window. He's not going to win it in a year from now. If like let's say Tyler Buckner comes to Alabama and lights the world on, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just, lights the world on fire, throws for thirty eight hundred yards, rushes for a thousand yards, and everybody <laughs> thinks he's a first round draft pick and he leaves for the NFL. I'm just making a point here, okay? I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, yep. By that time, Dylan Lonergan will have caught up to Ty Simpson and probably be ready to pass him, in my opinion. Right. So this is the window for Ty Simpson to become the starter. He's got to beat out Tyler Buckner. If he doesn't beat out Tyler Buckner. I don't think he becomes starting quarterback at Alabama, barring Buckner getting hurt like in September and tying his step in. That's that's my thoughts. That's fair. Sense, two cents. Fair. I would be curious to see, have you watch this film at some point. Let me know what you yeah. think. I'll him. go take a look. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for today's show. Ryan, why don't you uh, go ahead and take us out of here, man? Appreciate everybody, as always, for the great mailbag questions, of course. Thank you so much for joining us for the first section of this podcast. If you did not join us for where Notre Dame is championship caliber and where it needs to work, Moving forward, make sure to go back and listen to the first section of this podcast. But we thank you all again for joining us today. We will be back tomorrow, 1 o'clock Eastern time. Me and Brian for the Friday free-for-all mailbag. Tonight, 6 o'clock, IB Nation Sports Talk. Make sure to tune in. The best way to do that, hit that notification bell at the bottom of this video if you're listening to us live on YouTube. Five-star reviews are always very much appreciated. Like, subscribe, all that great stuff. But we will catch you next time from Ryan. I am uh, That is Brian. I am Ryan. Thank you all for joining us today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.